0: You're listening to Hardwired with Jeff Wickwire. Here's what's coming up in today's edition. It's easy to trace the sad history of God's chosen people
1: under the law. They degenerated into apostasy and immorality in the days of the judges. They experienced a partial revival under Samuel, then the dismal failure of King Saul, followed by an era bright with hope under David. But it did not last. You know when you read the Bible, you see that no matter what man tried, and no matter how good he did, it never lasted. Over and over again, God showed man, you must
0: have a Savior. You've got to have a Redeemer. And there's something that you really don't want to do. How do you handle it? Do you push it off until it's too late? Ignore it completely? Facing difficult situations can be one of the most frustrating things we have to deal with in life. And today, Pastor Jeff wants you to know that letting God take control is the most freeing thing you can do to deal with these difficult situations. When you surrender to God and live in the path that He has laid out, you don't have to face conflict alone. Let God take your burdens. Well, let's join Pastor Jeff in the book of Galatians chapter 4 as he continues his message, Now We Are the Sons of God. Do you know what's going to happen one day? Jesus is coming back, and in
1: the millennium, which is a thousand-year time span, He's going to rule the world from Jerusalem. So you really believe that, Pastor Jeff? Of course I do. Same Bible that gave me John 3.16 tells me that. Of course it's going to happen. Well, I just have trouble believing that. Well, hang on. You don't have to fully believe it. If you're saved, just hang on. You'll see it. And that's when the lion will lay down with the lamb. That's when they will beat their swords into plowshares. That's when peace will cover the earth. And Messiah will rule out of Jerusalem. It's coming. It's right around the corner. It's right around the corner. Now, so that seed, the Jewish people, God told Abraham, you're going to have a land, and it's the Holy Land. And so in that promise to Abraham, that plural seed, all of his descendants, that they would possess a land. They've never fully possessed it, but they will fully possess it when he returns. For the first time ever, they will fully possess every square foot of the land God gave them when he told Abraham and gave him the promise. Now, but also Abraham was to have a seed likened to the stars of heaven. You read about that in Genesis 15, verse five. Now that refers to his spiritual seed. Now turn to your neighbor and say, that be you. His spiritual seed. That refers to his spiritual seed. It's a seed made up of all those who are linked with Abraham as the father of all them that do what? That believe. Okay. This vast multitude is Abraham's spiritual posterity. And this is where the church comes in. We as the church are Abraham's heirs and will inherit all the spiritual blessings made good by God to all those who exercise the faith in Christ Jesus that Abraham did. So when did Abraham believe in Jesus? Well, I'm going to give you a good example. When he laid his son on that altar. And God has said, now, I want you to sacrifice Isaac, your only son. I mean, God knew exactly what he was doing. What a picture of the Christ, the Messiah, when he would come. It was was a foreshadowing, a, a type, a shadow of what was going to happen later with Jesus. And so he said, I want you to sacrifice Isaac. And so for three days, they journeyed to that mount. And when they got to the mount, or on the way to the mount, here's little Isaac, the love of his life saying, Dad, what's all this wood for? And why are we going where we're going? What are you doing? I'll tell you that man, Abraham, struggled. It was breaking his heart. He did not understand. For decades, he had believed God for this boy. He was a supernatural son in that he was born of an old man and an old woman who were physiologically sexually dead. And now God is saying, sacrifice him? you got to be kidding me. What? He laid him down. He said, I trust God. Now, here's what Galatians tells us. Galatians says that Abraham believed that God could raise him from the dead. Abraham lifted that knife, saying to himself in his heart, "If this goes, if, if, once he's dead, I believe God can raise him from the dead. That's the faith every Christian has, that God raised Jesus from the dead. So he had the same faith, In the same resurrection power that you and I have. And thank God he raised the knife right about here. Right when he was about to bring it down, God said, stop. And there was a ram caught in the thicket just over yonder. And that became the sacrifice. But he received Isaac back as a type of a resurrected man. That's what Galatians tells us. Now, Paul again is showing the utter folly of the Judaizers who or wanted to put believers back under the law of Moses. He said, this is crazy. We're the seed of Abraham. The law has nothing to do with us at all in terms of providing our inheritance. The law did not give us any inheritance. Now in chapter four, Paul's theme is that it is a great thing to be the seed of Abraham, but it's an even greater thing to be a son of God. The apostle is gonna mention three things in chapter four. First, he's going to talk to the Galatians about their birthright as sons of God. Then he's going to talk to them of their betrayal of the truth they had been taught. And then he's going to talk to them about their bondage. But let's look now at the birthright. Verses 1 through 7. First, when addressing their birthright, he shows them the difference between being a minor and being mature. Being a child and being an adult. Now, last time we saw that Paul shows the law in its role as a taskmaster, a schoolmaster, a prison guard, and a chaperone. He's now going to compare the law to a legal guardian. Now, watch this carefully. Under the old law, the believer was a ward of the state, so to speak. His property and his inheritance were in the care of another until he reached a certain age. All of this has changed in Christ. Here is Paul's analogy. He says in chapter four, verse one. Now I say that the heir, as long as he's a child, does not differ at all from a slave. Now he's talking about a child who has wealthy parents and he's waiting for an inheritance. He's an heir. He's waiting for to reach a certain age. And once he reaches that age, he's going to receive all of this wealth his parents have left for him as an heir of the family. Now, as long as he's a child waiting for this inheritance to come down to him, he does not differ, Paul says, from a slave, though he is master of all. He's the heir, but until he reaches that age where he can come into it, he's just like a slave in the house. He's under guardians, he's under stewards, until the time appointed by the father. Now, under Roman law, let me clarify this a little bit more. An heir was placed under the authority of a tutor. And though his father's inheritance was his, he could not touch it until reaching the age of 25. He just couldn't wait to hit 25. Like some kids can't wait to hit, you know, what is it you can drink now? 21, 18, it ought to be 50. I believe with every sip, you're increasing your chances of making a bad decision, but that's another topic. Now, um, though his father's inheritance was his, he couldn't touch it until he reached 25, so he was longing to hit 25, because then I'm going to go from a slave to wealthy. I'm going to go from just somebody under tutors and teachers and guardians to my, I'm going to come into my own, and I'm going to receive all this wealth. Only then did he come into his full inheritance at 25. Now, here's Paul's analogy. Even though a minor was heir to a noble name, wealth, honor, position, and power, he was the same as a slave under authority until he reached the designated age. Now, here's Paul's application. He says in verse 3, even so, we, that means ye, even though we, when we were children, were in bondage under the elements of the world. Now, the word for children here implies a small child, a child not even old enough to speak. And the law treated people like infants. The law treated those that were raised under it like little children, because everything has to be spelled out for an infant. He's got to be told when to go to bed, when to get up, what to eat, what to wear, what not to wear, where to go, where not to go. Who to hang around with, who not to hang around with. uh, A child is under constant tutelage. Nearly all of its decisions are made for it. That's the way a child, a young child lives. And this beautifully illustrates what purpose the law served, the Mosaic law. It was legalism unchained. The law said, don't do this, don't do that. You must not go here. Don't go there or the other place. Do this, do that. You can do only what I say you can do. And that's the way Saul, who later became Paul, that's the way he was raised. And everybody under the Mosaic law was raised that way. It was this huge volume of rules and regulations and can't do's and thou shalt not this and that and the other. The result was spiritual bondage and infancy was the spiritual state of everybody that was under the law. They were little children. When Paul says they were under the elements of the world, he's referring to those under the law and ruled by legalism. Christ says the apostle has freed us from all such man-made rules and regulations. Can everybody say amen? amen? Because watch this. Now, it doesn't mean we can go do whatever we want to do. To be free in Christ does not mean you can do whatever you want. I had a man say to me one time, and he fully meant it. He looked me right in the eye and said, he was living in immorality. And he said, but, but Jeff, the Bible says to the pure, all things are pure. And, and so I'm pure. So everything I do is pure. Isn't it funny how we can twist and rationalize what we want to do? We, we can turn the scriptures to enable us to kill, lie, steal, deceive. But as Christians, just because he has set us free from the Mosaic law, from living under that rules and regulations thing, doesn't mean we can do whatever we want. As Christians, we're to master the principles that God has given us in the New Testament in the teachings of Christ and the apostles. You can start with the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, 6, and 7. If you live that, it'll really set you free. Now, the coming of Christ has changed everything. So Paul next focuses on the advent of the Son of God. and I love this next verse. Can you read the first few words with me? But when the fullness of the time had come, can you say with me, God has a timing for everything. Now say it's perfect. How many of you can agree with me that God's timing is rarely your timing? How many of you thank God that when you just insisted he do something in a certain time period, now you look back and you go, thank God he didn't do it. He had a better time. God has a perfect time. So I love that phrase, the fullness of the time. When the fullness of the time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, watch this now, born under what? The law that we were just talking about to redeem those who were what? Under the law that we might receive what? The adoption as sons. So Jesus was born under that oppressive law, but he lived it. He never sinned. God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Can you imagine living a life where never one time you ever had to say, God, forgive me? Can you imagine that? Never one time having to say, oops, God, forgive me. Never one time feeling that shadow of separation pass between you and God because of something you did. That never happened to Jesus. He lived a perfect, sinless life. Life. Why did he do that? So he could redeem those who were under the law that we might receive the adoption as sons. Now, let me take you into a little bit of history and just show you what kind of a world that Jesus was born into. Y'all want to learn a little bit tonight? Just want to, I want to educate you a little bit. Let me, let me just show you a few things. The Old Testament chronology of history is like this. The human race lived for 2,000 years under a curse brought by a woman. Then for 2,000 years under a curse brought by the law. Christ has redeemed us from both the curse of the fall and the curse of the law. He's redeemed us from the consequences of the fall. We're forgiven. And he's redeemed us from the curse of the law. We're not under it like that anymore. Now, his advent took place in the fullness of time. Now, obviously, God had been in no hurry. He never is. He moves slowly, but he moves sure. From Adam to Noah, God allowed men to be controlled by conscience, the knowledge of good and evil. Remember, God said, if you eat of that tree, you're going to have the knowledge of good and evil. Well, they ate of the tree, so they had the knowledge of good and evil. So God allowed uh, the, the future generations for a season to live under the knowledge of good and evil, controlled by their conscience. But it did not work. The result was catastrophic as appalling wickedness covered the globe, resulting in culminating in the flood. Man became so bad, God said, I'm going to wipe the whole world out. After the flood, an age of government was inaugurated with God placing into Noah's hands after the flood the sword of capital punishment for capital crime. Now watch this. He told Noah in Genesis 9, verse 6, whoever sheds man's blood, by man his blood shall be shed. For in the image of God he made man. You kill a man, you've killed somebody made in the image of God. That's what God said. So these people that sit on death row for 30 years, it's not what God would order. So, well, Pastor, Now you're going off into capital punishment. I know, I know. But I'm just showing you what it says here. Now, this age stretched from Noah to Nimrod. When again it climaxed in a further eruption of lawlessness and another massive judgment at the Tower of Babel. The human race scattered far and wide following this confusion of tongues. Remember, they were building that tower. They said, until it reaches into the heavens. Of course, it wasn't going to reach into the heavens, but what was it? It was rebellion against God. Because God had said, I want you to spread throughout the earth and replenish the earth. And they weren't doing it. They had all come together to build this tower, which was a symbol of rebellion against God. So God said, you want to obey me? I'm going to get where you can't understand it. Can you imagine that happening right now? <laughs> I mean, if I was just talking to him, and I'm saying, hand me another brick. We're building this tower. Oh, I can't understand. And what are you going to do? You're finally going to go, forget it. And you're going to spread out and replenish the earth. So if you won't obey God, he has a way of making you get there. So they, they spread throughout the earth. God judged them at the Tower of Babel. This is all before Genesis 12. And they carried away with them the curse of idolatry as in Nimrod's legacy. Then God broke in again, determined to begin all over again with another man, Abraham. And that starts in Genesis 12. The age of promise began. And God's primary focus became the patriarchal family of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And what was God doing in Genesis 12, verse 1? He was beginning to work out the plan of salvation. He said in Genesis, he would do. There would be a bruiser of Satan's head, the seed. So in Genesis 12, he starts by calling Abram out of Ur of the Chaldees. And he focuses on Abram, Abraham later, And his descendants. Now, next followed the migration to Egypt under Joseph and the slow, steady decline of the Hebrew people. Now, they went there just the family, Jacob with his 12 sons, Joseph the first going, and you know that story. But they became in 400 years' time a nation within a nation, and they threatened Pharaoh. So he put them under harder bondage and harder bondage and harder bondage till they cried out for a deliverer and God raised up Moses. And after 400 years, they came out. While they were in Egypt, they compromised with Egypt's gods and they came into slavery under Egypt's government. It's a great picture of the world. Now, the arrival of Moses marked the beginning of a brand new day. Israel was liberated from Egypt, crossed the Red Sea, went into the wilderness, went into the, uh, wilderness. And once again, once they reached the promised land, they degenerated into idolatry. And the dismal story is told in the book of Judges. Now, in response, God gave the law, and he listed a catalog of curses into the law's demands. The human family had failed from Genesis 1 to Genesis 11, and now from Genesis 12 on, the Hebrew family also failed. God's people of promise. Why did he raise up the Hebrews? Why did he raise up the Jewish people? To make his name known in the earth. And they fail over and over again. It's easy to trace the sad history of God's chosen people under the law. They degenerated into apostasy and immorality in the days of the judges. They experienced a partial revival under Samuel. Then the dismal failure of King Saul, followed by an era bright with hope under David. But it did not last. You know when you read the Bible, you see that no matter what man tried... And no matter how good he did, it never lasted. Over and over again, God showed man, you must have a savior. You've got to have a redeemer. You can't do it on your own. Under Solomon, disastrous policies and horrific compromise with idolatry brought the nation down under God's judgment. Solomon blows me away. We read the Proverbs. I love the Proverbs. Anybody in here like the Proverbs with me? And what do we call Solomon? Why Solomon? Wise King Solomon, wisest man that ever lived. Yet this man, in his later years, connected himself with pagan women. He had a thousand wives. That shows you he lost his mind. (laughs) Seriously, how do you keep a thousand women happy? That's a lot of gifts. Now, all those wives, but they were pagan. And God had warned His people don't intermarry with pagan people, and that and that carried over in the New Testament. You ladies, you should never marry an unbeliever, sir. You should never marry an unbeliever. Say, but I'm in love. We'll get out of it. Get out of it. Say, but love will conquer all. No, it will not. And the Bible says, and I know I'm I'm stepping away a little bit here, but I feel an anointing. The, the, the Bible says, who are you, oh, woman, that you, that you will save your husband? How do you know you'll save your husband, Paul says in Romans? And he says to the man, how do you know you'll save your wife? There's no guarantee. Hey, marriage is a long business. And you that are a Christian, the day is going to come. I don't care how in love you feel. You're going to have children, and you're going to want to take those children to church. And if you marry an unbeliever, they're going to rise up. They, they're going to rise up and say, I'm not going to church. Why church? I don't even believe in that. And when the thrill is gone and you've been married a while and the love has kind of cooled and gotten into mellow yellow or whatever and you're kind of just cruising through life and taking care of things and suddenly you realize I marry somebody that does not have my faith, does not love my Jesus, does not want to raise our children the same as me and it's going to matter. So you may be in love, you got in it, get out of it. If you're dating an unbeliever, drop them tonight. (laughs) Well, I couldn't hurt their feelings. They're going to hurt yours one day, but I'm going to stop right there. (laughs) Solomon, if he could talk to us, if he could appear right here, he would say, amen, Pastor Jeff. (laughs) What fellowship has light with darkness? That's what it says. Well, Solomon, he married all these foreign women, and they carried him into idolatry. This man, Solomon, the wisest man on the earth, reached the place, folks where he built altars to Molech and burned children in his red-hot hands. How does that happen? By running with the wrong people. With Solomon, a divided king with a divided heart left a divided nation. That divided nation split into the northern and southern kingdoms. The northern kingdom consisted of 10 of the 12 tribes, and it spiraled into such apostasy in no time that they were uprooted under God's judgment and marched away under the Assyrian captivity. They never had one righteous king, the northern tribes, Israel. Now, the southern kingdom of Judah lurched back and forth between good kings and bad and between obedience and apostasy, ultimately following its sister Israel into captivity. 70 years later, after they've been in Babylonian captivity for 70 years where they couldn't sing the Lord's song for the sorrow of their heart, they were freed from Babylonian captivity and given another chance under a succession of godly leaders, Nehemiah, Ezra, and others. Yet as always, decline set in again. It always did. By the time of Christ, the Jewish religion was completely bankrupt rife with hypocrisy. That's why Jesus was always calling the Pharisees and Sadducees hypocrites. He told them the truth. You preach it and you don't live it. Rife with hypocrisy and empty, vacuous religion. When the fullness of time finally came, Judaism was a dead religion of rite and ritual form and ceremony, tradition and crushing legalism. There was no life in it. Now we're going to let next time at how God shows the worst of times to bring forth the best of blessings.
0: Whether you're a Christian or not, we've all been around people who try to take the high road of religion. It's common in our culture for people to use religion as a means for justification of bad deeds. Today, we learned from Pastor Jeff that if you want to be cleansed from the tropes of this world that are holding you hostage, you need to let God's perfect love penetrate your heart. The promises of the world will always fail you, but God never will. Be transformed by His grace. For more teachings and information about this ministry, we encourage you to check out hardwired.org. Pastor Jeff Wickwire has many more messages there. You'll find them under the audio tab. This will surely help you be encouraged in the Word. Once again, that's hardwired.org. We want to invite you to come back again next time for another teaching from Pastor Jeff. Here's more on that. Have you ever done something so awful that you felt like an outcast even from your own family? Have you ever felt so ashamed by your past that that you even keep it from the people you love most? Next time with Pastor Jeff, we find out that the only way to experience a family that will support you no matter what is by accepting God's perfect gift of grace. People will always fail you, but God never will. Experience love like never before through the power of the cross. There's more Pastor Jeff has to share from the book of Galatians, so be sure to join us again. If you missed any part of today's teaching, you can find it online at hardwired.org. We're so glad we could be part of your day today, and we pray you've been blessed by today's edition of Hardwired.